0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Ed Choice Chats. I'm Drew Cat, and I'm here today with Marty Lukin to discuss his latest work, a report called Fiscal Effects of School Vouchers. Thanks for joining us today, Marty. It's great to be here today with you, Drew. Awesome. Well, let's begin at the most logical place, which is what inspired you to work on this piece. What did you set out to discover?
1: So, the motivation for this piece is that the most common criticism that we face from skeptics of private school choice is that school choice programs somehow siphon or debit resources from public schools when, whenever students choose to leave district schools to attend private schools via those programs. So given those concerns, policymakers, other stakeholders, taxpayers usually want to know the physical effects of these programs on their state and local budgets. So while it's true that the funding a district receives is you know, goes down whenever a student leaves for any reason, costs also go down. However, skeptics tend to focus on just one part of the equation, uh, the cost, without acknowledging or accounting for the other side of the equation, the, you know, potential savings that these programs uh, generate. So that's basically
0: what we set out to do with this report. Awesome. And how many programs did you look at? And do these fiscal effects vary by state? So we looked
1: at 16 programs in nine states plus the District of Columbia, and this is actually an update of a report um, that my predecessor, Jeff Spalding, did called the School Voucher Audit, where he looked at the physical effects through 2014. Since then, four years of data have become available so that we can uh, look at an additional six programs since then. And... The states that we look at uh, include Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Ohio, Oklahoma, Utah, and Wisconsin. And we do see that the fiscal effects do vary. It's because simply, you know, the programs are, the bills are written differently. The policies are written differently. How the vouchers are funded are different. Plus the cost structures for schools across districts
0: also differ as well. So before we delve deeper into this topic, our listeners might need a little bit of a rundown. How do you actually go about calculating the costs or savings associated with these programs? So there are two key factors
1: that any fiscal analysis of a private school choice program really needs to account for. One are switchers. Switchers are students who participate in these programs who would enroll in a district school or a public school without the financial assistance from the voucher program or the school choice program. And then a second key factor are the variable cost savings. Um, and when I'm talking about variable costs, it refers to fixed and variable costs. So fixed costs are things that um, include like utilities, you know, debt, service, maintenance, things like that. These are the costs that can't be reduced in the short run. Variable costs, on the other hand, are things that you can reduce in the short run such as supplies or personnel, if enough students leave to consolidate classrooms, you know, things like that. So we account for those two factors. And what determines whether a program generates a net benefit or a net cost for state and local taxpayers will essentially be the fiscal alignment. So, so as long as uh, you know, when a student leaves a district to participate in a voucher program, If the voucher is less than the uh, variable cost savings that a district would experience, then that program is generating a net benefit
0: for taxpayers. Okay, so if the cost is less than the savings, then there's overall savings. Okay, sounds pretty straightforward, but I know that there's a lot more that goes into it. So what kind of savings did you find? So overall, we found
1: that the 16 programs analyzed in the report generated a cumulative net savings to state and local budgets worth about $3.2 billion from when those programs were launched through fiscal year 2015. And those savings represent about $3,400 per voucher recipient. In the last year of the analysis alone in, in 2015, Uh, All the programs that you're generated over $400 million in cumulative savings or about over $3,000
0: per voucher. So that's $400 million just in 2015. Right. Wow, that's phenomenal. Well, we still want to leave our listeners plenty of reason to read your report, so I won't ask you to reveal everything you've outlined in it. But I'm curious, what kinds of things could be done with these savings? And can only certain districts actualize the savings, or are the savings only at the state level? The savings occur at both
1: levels, the state and the local. To isolate the impact on the state's general fund or the state budget alone, you really would have to dig into and use the state's funding formula, which these funding formulas are incredibly complex, and they differ in so many different ways across states. So for an analysis like this that looks at programs nationwide, that's just time prohibitive to do that. But at least the approach that we take, we're able to look at the impact on state and local taxpayers. So governments, they face choices with what to do with these savings. If they wanted, they could lower taxes, they could build reserves, you know, so-called rainy day funds. They could, if they wanted, redirect those funds to other areas or other public services like healthcare or law enforcement. Or they could choose to, you know, if they have an issue with debt, they could choose to pay down debt. So they, they, they do have options with what to do. Now, if they don't do anything, if they don't actively, you know, direct these savings, then what happens is that implicitly these funds are just being reinvested into the districts. And so what happens then is that the districts end up with more resources uh, for fewer students that they have to educate. And, and the byproduct of that is that the resource per view will go up. So,
0: Yeah, and hypothetically, that means that teacher salaries could go up. That kind of sounds like a no-brainer, but why do you think some of these actions and some of these ways of shifting around some of these dollars saved haven't fully happened yet? Well, I think we just don't know what happens.
1: There are... A couple states, to their credit, that actively estimate and report the fiscal impacts of their programs. Uh, Iowa and Florida are examples. Every year or so, they will estimate and report what the fiscal impact of their school choice programs have been on the state's general fund. But that said, we don't know what happens to those savings. So, So I think what's likely is happening is that you know, nothing is being actively done. And so, in effect, we're seeing, you know, these savings being just reinvested into public schools. And that may be one contributing factor to the rise in per-people funding that we see over time.
0: Yeah, and a lot of folks might disagree that these programs actually save money, even when presented with the facts outlined in your report. And they'll also claim that participating students would attend private school anyway, that switchers may not actually exist. How would you respond to those critics? Well, first, how we've designed school choice programs
1: to date, uh, they they tend to be targeted. Uh, They're targeted at disadvantaged populations. Voucher programs tend to be focused usually at low-income students or students with special needs or or disabilities. And those are populations that tend to enroll in public schools uh, in the first place. Also, a lot of programs have prior enrollment requirements, so in order to participate in the programs, usually you usually have to be enrolled in a public school in the year before you, you use the voucher. So for those reasons, the switcher rate is going to be pretty high, and so that's why we see these savings. But at the end of the day, it's impossible to know where a student would be enrolled, whether in public or private school, you know, without the program. Life circumstances change, so, you know, one year student can have parents who are both working, you know, they have a steady income, and they're able to afford a private school, but one parent might lose their their job, so then they can no longer afford tuition, and so their child would be enrolled in public school, or vice versa. Parent can get a promotion, and so suddenly they can afford tuition, and, you know, they may decide that another school better fits their needs. But my overall point, though, is it really is impossible to know this, but but the analysis that I conducted, I did make every attempt to account for switchers and find out you know which proportion of the participants were switchers versus non-switchers. And the way that I did that was I contacted state education departments and asked for information on where students in the voucher programs were enrolled prior to participating in the program.
0: Yeah, and I remember huh, from my own digging a little bit that there are some states that believe that every single kindergartner entering a program would have attended private school anyways, which is just fascinating to me. Right. That's a really interesting assumption to make. Right. Well, excellent, Marty. Is there anything we haven't covered that you think our listeners should know about fiscal effects of school vouchers? You know, I think it's great that these programs are generating savings,
1: but I also want to make clear that, you know, we're not advocating that... School choice programs should be designed solely to pursue that result. Rather, I think that it's important that policymakers consider a system where all dollars follow the kids. Because of the way that the programs are designed now, I mean, funding is inequitable. Even before choice programs are introduced, we have problems with funding equitability across districts, just within the public school system. So now we have another system that's creating more inequity. So I think that at the end of the day, you know, we should have a system that invites entrepreneurship and invites education providers to be incentivized to enter and try to meet the variegated demands for all families and all children.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's not necessarily one versus another, but just equal access to all. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Marty. And props go out to our listeners for taking the time to learn a little more about the savings associated with school vouchers. To stay updated on the latest school choice research, legislative news, and more, please remember to subscribe to our EdChoice Chats podcast. Our team is always creating new school choice resources. If you want to be notified when those become available, you can sign up to receive our emails on the web at edchoice.org. If social media is more your thing, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and even Facebook at EdChoice. That's it for our shameless self-promotion. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care.